the show. The Thank first you for, guest. Thank you for having me. We did it. We're up and running. We're up and running. I'm so proud of you, Chris. We got the stuff. Mm-hmm. We figured out how to use it. Mm-hmm. And we pushed the on button. Here we are. And here we are. Awesome. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. I'm excited to be here. Of course. And I get to have you at your own dining room table. I love it. It's our makeshift studio. I said R. Is this your favorite podcast studio you've been in so far? This is. Is it your only podcast studio you've been no. in so far? Oh, which other one have you been in? I was an intern for a hospital system mm-hmm. when I was in grad school. And we I was on the team when they started their podcast. So that was very, very cool to be a part of that. And so I recorded, I think I only recorded two. It may have only been one long one, but I, so I was in that studio and it was a makeshift studio as well at the office, but. So you have more experience than me at this. No, I don't. Totally different kind of podcast. I thought you were going to say, this is my favorite podcast studio. And then it's my only podcast studio. (laughs) It's my favorite podcast studio. And it's not my only, which should mean more. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's more significant. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'm going to set the stage for people. It's a Sunday night. We're sitting at the table, a round table. I love a round table. I feel like something special happens around a round table. The night's the round table. Yeah, I just mm-hmm. think it's cool because nobody feels left out. Nobody's at one end. Nobody's at the head of the table. Nobody's at the head of the table We're either. all heads of the table. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we're in our living room. I can see our sunny, sunny our boy, our golden, golden retriever. Yep, our two-year-old. Who's not feeling well at all. No, he's sick. We picked so him up from doggy daycare. And since then he has been... Sick. Very sick. So we're, He's taken a little bit of a turn for the better tonight with his... His sentiment. His sentiment, wagging his tail, wanting to be pet. Grabbed a toy. Grabbed a toy. We're taking him to the vet tomorrow. But anyhow, there's Christmas decorations up. We just had Thanksgiving, which was a blast. And everywhere I look in my direction, I can see some Christmas and so can you. Which is thanks to you because you're the grand decorator here. Thank you. And you have the most Christmas spirit on the whole entire block. Thank you, Chris. Where did that come from? I have always loved Christmas since I was a kid. It's just so magical. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. My mom made Christmas is very special and she would really, so I always say I deck the halls when I decorate. A lot of people say that, I'm sure. But my mom, when we were little, she would have a Christmas party each year called Christmas at Mary's. And I just have the best memories of being a little kid, watching her like prepare for the party and decorate and put up she used to put up several trees. Uh, one was like a really, really beautifully decorated ornate tree. And then there was one that was like the kid tree that had all the fun homemade ornaments and colorful ornaments. And then she usually had a tree. So it was like Christmas galore. And I remember she would uh, have people over and it was always so much fun to just be around the party. You know, she wouldn't make us like leave or go with the babysitter. We got to be there, which was so fun because I remember just walking around and looking at people mix and mingle. And and there's something so so cool that happens at a party like that where people are just chit-chatting. And I could smell cinnamon and there were candles and little party snacks. I remember the next day waking up and there being like some fun party snacks still out. So anyhow, I think I got my love of Christmas from her and she really made it so special her and my dad did 
Yeah. Both of them did when we were kids and they still do. Was Santa Claus a big deal in your house? Santa Claus was a very big deal. I was a big believer. Are you still a believer? Hey, if you don't believe, you don't receive, man. Okay. <laughs> so Santa's going to roll through. What's Santa bringing you this year? You know, I don't want anything, actually. But Santa's got to bring you something. Candy. Candy. Chocolate. Chocolate. I'm cool with that. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. Santa's going to bring you a podcast on January 1st, 2023. Santa's bringing a podcast. He's going to put under your tree that we don't have yet, but we need to get one. (laughs) A little gift, and it's going to say, I owe you in six days or seven days. Yeah. One week. Which is, drum roll please, can I do a drum roll with the microphone on? Go ahead, say the name. The Talk to People podcast. Woo! With Chris Miller. Yeah. With the perennial guest, very first, Annie Miller. Annie Miller, yes. I am Annie Miller. Who is special (laughs) in her own right. And she could be doing this. I often tell people that you would be an incredible podcast host. And honestly, I tell people you'd be a better podcast host than me. That's very kind and generous and flattering. But it's your energy. You have such great energy. Well, thanks, Chris. So do you, though. It's directed in a good manner. It's not like energy that's frenetic, bouncing off the walls. Like it's not chaotic energy? Sometimes it can be. But whenever (laughs) you're dealing with people, it's quite focused. And I, I think intentional, which would look great sound great when it comes to a podcast. Thank you, Chris. I actually, I appreciate that. That's very kind. I feel similarly, similarly about you and your energy and the way that you make people. I know, I think you talked about this maybe in a different episode or maybe it was a previous one we recorded, but you do make people feel like they're the only ones in the room when you're talking. And that's really special. You're a great communicator and you have such a love for connection that is part of every fiber in your being and i think that's so cool and i admire that and i i feel you on that i am also a people person but not to the level that you are so it's cool that you're doing this podcast and i know you're gonna have lots of great guests i just noticed something can i go back Uh, when we were talking about like my energy yeah (laughs) about chaotic energy I tend to be an anxious person. So I think my energy, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, because you're married to me and you are on the outside. So you're you're still biased because you married me. But I feel like my energy is most chaotic when it's not hardest in social situations, when it's when I'm not with people, right? Like I feel like I get most anxious or get that chaotic energy when I'm like sitting at home doing nothing. And you're at your best when you're around people. And I'm... I'm, I'm I, well, I don't know. That's what I'm asking you, I guess. is I would say yes. And it's not only around people, but it's also whenever you have a task that you're consumed with. Yes. I think it's idleness. They say idleness is the devil's playground. Yeah. I think for you, it's on the playground is anxiety going up and down the slide and swinging. Round and round the merry-go-round. Going through the monkey bars. Yeah. Whenever you're idle, that's whenever you get anxious. Yeah, that's a great... My mom always says when I... Because I... When I'm anxious, I will sometimes call her and be like, Mom, I'm anxious. <laughs> and she'll say, okay, what what task can you do? Can you organize your pantry? Can you take Sunny for a walk? So that's a great, it's not just people. That's a great observation. Yeah. But yeah, anyhow, sidebar. 
a little sidebar, but it, it's good for people to get to know you mm-hmm. and get to understand. And you said that as far as communication goes, you're a great <laughs> communicator and you've studied communication. So have you. We both studied communication. Mm-hmm. Where did you study communication at? I studied communication at the University of Kansas. Rock Chalk and Wake Forest University. Go Deeks. But Rock Chalk. And then you, did, <laughs> you returned back to the University and of I Kansas. I returned back to the University of Kansas. For a year. Of PhD school. Of PhD school. <laughs> you were a PhD candidate. I was a research fellow. Research fellow too. I don't think I was a PhD candidate. I think that's, that is like later on. Okay. I just was a student, but not doing that anymore. I uh, had a transition, but I'm still at KU, so that's fun. What are you doing now? I am the Assistant Director of Legacy Relations and Event Services for the KU Alumni Association. Wow, that's a handful. Yeah, it is It is a mouthful, but... A mouthful, not a handful. Yeah, that... A handful, too. <laughs> Enough about me. Chris, where did you study? <laughs> <laughs> hey, you... <laughs> I'm hijacking the podcast. <laughs> I studied at University of Central Oklahoma. Go Broncos. Roll chose. And then I studied <laughs> at the Wake Forest University as well. Go Deeks. Go Deeks. Where I met Annie Miller. Woo! At the time, she wasn't Annie Miller. But a few years later, she became Annie Miller. Mm-hmm. I'll let you all figure out how that happened. <laughs> but your mouthful of a job, what do you do on a day-to-day basis? Real, my job, we, we could get into the specifics and nuances of it, but at the core, my job really is connecting with people. That's what I do on a regular basis. I do a lot of outreach. I do a lot of one-on-one meetings with students and families. Uh, so it's really building relationships with people in as part of my job, which I feel really grateful for and lucky because it's something I love to do. So that's the essence of it. That's the core. Yeah. And whenever you're a little kid, did you want to be working for the University of Kansas Alumni Association as the Assistant Director of Legacy Relations and Events Services? I wish I could say yes, but I say no only because I, when I was a kid, I didn't know about KU. I was introduced to KU through my sister, Mia. Shout out to Mia. The memester. The memester. What did you want to be when you were a little kid? You know, uh... When I think back, I mean, I'm sure there were plenty of things. At one point, it was a doctor. My dad's a doctor, so I saw that, and I was like, ooh, maybe I'll be a doctor. My friend Amy will get a kick out of this, but we both, when we were little, we didn't know each other at the time, but I really wanted to be a... At one point when I was a kid, I wanted to be a cashier because I loved the idea of like scanning things in the scanner and using like the overhead microphone at the grocery store. like. Clean up on aisle three, clean up on aisle three, you know, or assistance to dairy, assistance to dairy. And so I really wanted <laughs> Does to Does the stand. cashier do that? Yeah, sometimes. Yeah. Depending wow. on what kind of grocery store you go to. Yeah. I wanted to do it all. And but then, Amy wanted to bag. Amy wanted to be a bagger. So late when we found this out, as we became friends, we were like, oh man, we would have been the perfect pair. I could be the cashier she could be back the dynamic duo dynamic duo yes and they'd be like we're really grateful that you guys have been working here we would love to move you guys up what are your aspirations (laughs) this is it (laughs) this is it i thought that was the coolest job also can we just actually shout out people who are working 
at grocery stores. Not an easy job. Not an easy job. The volume of people, people can have bad attitudes sometimes and be stressed out or if they can't find something they're looking for. It's a tough job. It's a tough job. Especially during COVID. Especially during COVID. They really came through. Yes. So So you always wanted to scan stuff. I did, I, at one point, I just remember that being, that's a very salient. How do you feel at self-checkout? I, li- I like self-checkout. Do you still yeah. got that love for scanning? I still do. You know that uh, when we go to self-checkout, you try to hijack all the rolls. I feel like I'm good at scanning. Like I can throw a bag of rice on the checkout and it will ding. Yeah. It's like I use finesse. You do use finesse. And yes. I try and put a little pizzazz mm-hmm. on the you do. bags of rice. or Now that I think about it, when I go to self-checkout, I think I like doing both of them. So, Amy, I'm sorry to kick you out. <laughs> I think she's a little busy now. I think she's a little busy too. <laughs> I don't Anyhow. think she'll be too disheartened. No, I don't think so. But I do know she's she had a soft spot for that. So, anyhow, yeah, that's what I do now. And I'm married to you because we met at Wake Forest. How did that happen? How did I marry you? Yeah. Well, Chris, before I went to Wake Forest, I did not date at all in college, which is, do you think that's rare? Yes. Yeah, I didn't date at all in college. I like to say that guys did not like me, but I, I don't think they did. Some people are like, oh, no, they just, you just didn't know what I'm like. <laughs> no, they really didn't. But anyhow, when I graduated from KU and I was going to Wake Forest, Backtrack. I was still at KU and I toured Wake Forest and I met you on my tour. I was already committed to go there, but I went to visit because I'd never seen the campus. I'd never been to Winston-Salem. I lived in Charlotte when I was a kid, fun fact, for a short time, but never been to Winston. So I came to tour and I met you, Chris, and... Where'd you meet me? In the Carswell lobby. Ooh, Carswell being the building communication, communication building. was in. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking... I saw you and I was like, oh my goodness, look at this cute. Everybody imagine Jessica Day doing that thing with her glasses. And I was like, oh my goodness, he's so cute. Cut to a few hours later, I'm in your class, like I'm sitting in on a class and you were like, you were cracking up the whole room and I was like, man, he's cute and he's funny and he's nice. And I was just like, oh my goodness, I kind of had a mini crush on somebody I just met. I came home from that tour and, or came home from the trip. And I remember telling my roommate and my sister and my mom, I probably told a lot. I was like, whoa, you guys, I shouted out to the rooftops. I'm in love. (laughs) Michael Scott, I'm in love with this woman. I told them, I was like, oh, I met a cute guy at Wake. He's in the program. Yeah. He's from Oklahoma. And then... Not not in a rude way, but it would be weird if I did think about you until I, right? Like if I went home and then thought about you until I went to Wake Forest. Maybe you were so infatuated. Yeah, that's. I think that's a little unhealthy. And I'm, you made I'm glad. drawings of me. No, that's when you run the other way. <laughs> PSA. But I kind of, you know, graduated from KU, did the thing, moved out to Winston. But before I moved, I, I kept saying to my sister, Mia, I'm going to meet the love of my life at Wake Forest. Not necessarily. Once again, this is no offense to you, but it's kind of like, oh, I met you and I thought you were cute. And Sure. But it was like, I didn't, you know. There's a lot more guys than me. Well, no, it was that I had such small interaction with you. And to be honest with you, Chris, and this is not me saying it just because I'm fishing for compliments or I'm trying to be humble here. I thought you were out of my league. I didn't think this could happen. And it did. 
So I think that's another factor. But anyhow, my sister would be like, oh my goodness, I know, I get it. You've said you're going to meet the love of your life. Well, then when I got to Wake and we started spending more time together, our offices were right across from each other. We had the same friend group. We started hanging out. I started really having a big crush on you. At one point you were dating somebody and I said, oh, how so-and-so? And you were like, oh, we actually broke up. And I was like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And then in my mind, I'm like, yeah, baby. <laughs> <laughs> you started plotting? Yeah. No, I, I say that jokingly, but I, I probably was like, hmm, hmm. You uh-huh. know. But then we started spending time together, went to a Wake Forest basketball game, went to... And I to, think I should cut in, and I'm sorry oh, to no, cut that's you fine. off. No, cut me off. Sorry. What I want to avoid is something that Annie and I actually revisited ourselves um, a few months ago, and that was for the past, ever since Annie and I really started officially dating, she always said that she was the one who pursued me and made everything happen. I was. <laughs> and she's, still am. She's still saying that. Mm-hmm. But we went back and we looked at all of the texts mm-hmm. and I was the one. I was the one. Who was asking you, hey, what's your number? Hey, would you like to hang out? Hey, would you like to go to this? Hey, would you like to go to that? Hey, would you like to go to this basketball game? Mm-hmm. So that's very true. And you were definitely not out of my league. There's this, you know, we should get jerseys because we make a good team, but yours would look better than mine because you're out of my league. And I, I was in the no. Premier League and you were in the Champions League. No way. And then you got relegated and you came down to my league. <laughs> I don't think so. Which was what made all this possible. You know, hey, good people. Deserve good people. I think that's what we got. And you were a teacher at Wake Forest. Yes. I, w- wait, can I tell a funny story about us dating? Yeah. So one time, I hope people laugh at this because I think it's funny. But Chris, do you remember when we took Harper for a walk? Harper is one of our best friends. I'm going to say one of our best friends. Shout out to Zach. Zach's dog, Harper. We took Harper for a walk. And this, we weren't officially dating yet, but we were getting to know each other, which... People made fun of us for being in that stage, but you know what? We took our time. And we were intentional we about were intentional. dating. We were intentional. But anyhow, we took Harper for a walk, and we were saying goodbye to each other. I was running a half marathon the next day, and so you had said, like, good luck. You made sure that – I shouldn't say you made sure. Maybe you weren't actually, but you said, so people are meeting you at the finish line, right? And I was like, yeah. And you were like, okay, good. And then he gave me a fist bump. Whenever you were leaving the When car. I was leaving. And- I was – I walked away and I was like, well, there goes that. Because I gave you a bump. Yeah, we were just heating things up. What were you expecting? Uh, Something. It just felt like such a a bro thing. Like, okay, he just friends on me. Like that was his way of friends owning me. I wasn't necessarily expecting, definitely not a kiss. Wasn't even necessarily expecting a hug. I think (laughs) it was, if you would have waved or, I don't know. What about a pat on the back? Okay. That might be worse than the fist bump. (laughs) Oh gosh, like. See you later, champ, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, nice hanging with you, bud. Yeah, like, nice hanging with you. See you at school. <laughs> so you thought it was cut off there. I thought it was over. I was like, well, there goes that. The next day, though, you invited me to church, I think. Hey, funny so, how that happens. Funny how that happens. But anyhow, so you were saying, you were talking about us being teachers at Wake. Yeah. Yes. And our offices were across from each other. Yeah, so I would, like, I would see that your light was on, and I'd be like, yes. 
Then I figured out that sometimes you would leave your light on. I don't think on purpose, but accidentally. And I would kind of look to see, is he going to come out? And you, I would be there for hours working on stuff. And not like I would go there to see you. And I never came out. But you'd never come out. I'm like, either he's, someone's going, (laughs) is he okay? Is he taking a nap? You know, people slept in there sometimes. People did sleep in theirs. Uh, I'm trying to think. I don't think I ever did. Mine was very small. But I had one of the big ones. You had one of the big ones. Yeah. And people slept in there. Mm-hmm. Not like people slept in mine, like it was a B and B. No, no, no. People would go and yeah, sleep and in their curl office. up and take a nap. Yeah. yeah, I I couldn't do that. Mine was so small. I called I it a either. confessional. Yeah. Most of the time when I was in the office, I was stressed out. See, I loved my Carol. My little confessional is where I focused. It was where I was like, I have to be here to work mm-hmm. on school. Yeah. And if I was forcing myself to work on school, the more than likely, like my headspace wasn't. Okay. In the best place. See, that was different. You and I were different in that because I would go regular, like routinely and work on stuff. And yeah, so it's different. But yeah, I was teaching relational communication. You were teaching public speaking. And it was funny because we would teach a class. Mm-hmm. We would te- go teach our own classes and then we'd walk to our offices and we'd like see each other in passing. Yeah. So that's what we taught, which I think you are a great public speaker. I feel like you could have taught either one of those for sure. And maybe I could have too, but I think I really enjoyed relational communication. It was a lot of fun for me. It spoke to my interests as a person, as a researcher. Well, that's your bread and butter. That's my bread and butter, baby. But what I was trying to do there is give you some props and credit because you are a great public speaker and you, I wish I could have been a student in that class because actually no, cause I would have been hot for teacher, but <laughs> <laughs> You're like, you wouldn't have paid attention <laughs> or you would have done so well to get the attention to get an A to get an A and like present myself well, like self-presentation. Uh-huh. Yeah. And show up in like a really studious way. Yeah. Show up in a studious academics. Yeah. Uh-huh. You were a really good public speaker too. I think Thank that you, Chris. I remember whenever you graduated from KU, I hadn't known you yet. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess we had met that one time, mm-hmm. but I watched a speech you gave and I was like, whoa. This girl's good. Since then, I've developed a slight case of social anxiety. Well, I think the majority of people have. I think so, too. Adam Grant, you know him? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, of course. He has a really cool article. And he says it was like after the pandemic. Well, it was kind of in in between stages In in between stages. And Mm -hmm. he put together this piece that said essentially be gracious for people if they have social anxiety Mm -hmm. because social muscles, just like our physical ones atrophy when they're not used. Yes. So a lot of people haven't been using face-to-face social muscles. Mm -hmm. So due to that, we all need to be a little gracious. If there's awkward pauses, people have a facial expression that doesn't align with their tone, like all of these little things that that take a bit. That's so true. Yeah. So I don't think you're the only one who feels as a social anxiety. I, and maybe it's because I'm critical and, yeah. Have an anxious personality. And you're also very sort of a perfectionist. I wouldn't say sort of. I would say I think it's gotten better over the years. But yes, I very much, I would say that about myself as well. And I don't know if I'd call you perfectionist. I think maybe you have a high standard of excellence. Perhaps I do have perfectionistic tendencies. Okay. But it's not, you know, Yeah. I think I've outgrown some of it because a lot of it was academic related. And what's funny is that 
But with the academic stuff, I really loved school, always did. When I was a kid, like, and I had, I remember having strep throat and crying because I couldn't go to school. <laughs> and I really loved to learn throughout college. I, I just loved school. I loved it. L- liked homework. Sounds silly. I enjoyed, I actually miss having tests. Maybe it's because I miss, I think, and I don't know what this says about me. Maybe it's that perfectionist in me, but I miss having a test and, and studying for something. And, and it was kind of a game for me. Like how well can I do on this test? And then when I get it back and did well, it's like, yes, I got so much satisfaction from it. Yeah. You get that dopamine hit. You get a dopamine hit. And it's a reward system. It's a reward system. And that's a little messed up. I think once it takes away from learning, once it takes away from learning. And I'm grateful. I, I, I've, my love of learning was really preserved through that. So maybe it wasn't, but about the public speaking, when I think about getting up on a stage, when I was a freshman in college, I spoke to 500 people. I was in a speech. I was a finalist in a speech competition. When I think about doing that now, I want to pass out. Well, thinking about it's one thing. True. Thinking about it is one thing. And I guess it's all in context, right? Because you I, were nervous freshman year too. I was nervous freshman year, but I, yeah, I guess I, I had given the speech in front of my own class a few times, like my classmates. I'd given it to a smaller crowd when I was like a semifinalist. I'd prepped with my professor, you know, so there was so much preparation involved. It's not like I just got up there. Right. Yeah. I did but, one of those oratory competitions. Yeah. At UCO. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember the opening tryouts. Did mm-hmm. you do that? Where it was like really small, but there was like everybody would come up and give their speech and there was a panel of judges. So ours was a little bit different. It was all of the COM 100 classes at KU, which there were a lot, a lot of sections. There was one student from each class selected to just go to the first round. Then if you made it past the first round, you went to a second round within the same day. If you made it past that, I think you went to semifinals and then the finals. So how it was a little bit different. Maybe it was not lower bar, but nobody in my class wanted to do it. Did the TAs select? I think how I, th- I want to say, I think, I think they did have, I think the TAs did have some say in it, but I remember nobody in my class wanted to go through. So I think she'd asked for volunteers first. And if volunteers, this is how it went. I think she asked for volunteers and if people volunteered to like give their speech in front of the class then the class would vote, the people who didn't speak would vote to, you know, pick one person and nobody raised their hand. And I was like, oh my goodness, come on. We need, so I raised my hand and nobody else did. So it was, but then I had to compete from there on out. Right. So it was different. Yeah. Did, what'd you win in that? What did I win? Yeah. What place did I finish? Did you get anything, money or scholarship or? I honestly, I, I want to say I did get money. No, I don't, I don't remember. That feels, it was almost 10 years ago, but I didn't do well in the finals. Yeah. Yeah. Well, shout out to whenever I did the oratory competition, Mm -hmm. there was this guy who was so good Mm -hmm. and he was on the football team Mm -hmm. and I liked him a lot. Yeah. I wish I remembered his name right now, but I'm having a hard time recalling it. So wait, how did yours work? So you had to go in front of a panel? For the first round, you had... So ours was the MLK oratory competition. Okay. So each Mm -hmm. year, there was a theme, and it would be a quote of Martin Luther King's. Okay. Oh, cool. So then you take that quote, and then you have a five or 
10 minute speech. Mm -hmm. I forget what the time frame was. And then you build that speech, you apply. I think you submitted electronically. Oh, like a written version or an outline or something? A video, I think. Oh, video. Okay. And then I think from there, you audition. Mm-hmm. Well, honestly, I don't think there was a video. I think you showed up and there was auditions. Okay. Sure. And then you had to get pushed through. Okay. And then once you got pushed through, I think you did it again. And then you got pushed through to the finals. And then at the finals, there was three people. Okay. And it was sponsored by Enterprise Cars. Wow. So what did, did you win anything? Did you win? I got some cash from Enterprise. Did you win first place? I didn't win first place. I won last place in okay. the finals. But that's a big deal. Third place. But I was really grateful. I mean, mm-hmm. you get money for speaking, right? And yeah. at some point, that's a dream. Just talking, using your voice and yeah. you get money for it. So that was really cool. I remember the, uh, the quote was, mm-hmm. let us not seek to satisfy our thirst for freedom by drinking from the cup of bitterness and hatred. Oh, yeah. That's good. And I talked about Jane, what's her name? The teacher, elementary school teacher. Oh, who did the blue eyes? Brown eyes. Brown eyes. Jane. And she broke the class up. Mm-hmm. And then yes. there was already like that inferiority complex. Yep. Just from what the teacher was telling the students. Yes. That that social experiment in the classroom was very ahead of its time. Yeah, it yeah. was. And those kids, whenever they felt like they were part of the inferior group, they would start to be nasty to one another. Yes. And then their test scores were actually more poor than the ones who were in the quote unquote superior group. Jane Elliott. Jane Elliott. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, it was crazy because it was a real life demonstration, an example of a group of people seeking to satisfy their thirst for like freedom and for mm-hmm. excellence and for, they felt like they were cheated by being bitter or by being full of hatred. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it happened in like a really small scope, mm-hmm. but you see it happen on a grand scale for sure. historically whenever it comes to issues like race. So mm-hmm. I talked about that. And it, one yeah. of the things that I had a problem with was, this is silly, but just like the way I use the microphone. Like yeah. I wasn't really used to the microphone. So small things like that were what kind of edged me out. I don't think I got third, but then again, or I don't think I should have got third, mm-hmm. but then again, I'm quite competitive. Yeah. The oratory competition was really cool. My favorite thing yeah. was being able to just prep and know yeah. that I'm about to speak in front of a whole bunch of people. And was I nervous? Yes, I was nervous. But probably exhilarating, right? Yes. It's a nervous excitement. My heart was beating out of my chest. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Boom, boom, boom. See, I used to love that feeling. And now I'm kind of scared of it. Well, you get an adrenaline dump at the end of it. True, you do. You get a ton of adrenaline. You're riding it. True. I wish I could have seen you. Do you have a recording? Somewhere. I'd love to see it. We'll, We'll have to dig that up. I think it's with my undergrad email. And I think that's in the grave mm-hmm. but it was really cool and mm-hmm. i remember a buddy of mine came out to watch me a whole group of friends of mine there that was like, is so cool and you were what year maybe a junior. junior there was like the table was full of people mm-hmm. and i remember my friend said hey you did so good oh that's so cool yeah and that meant a lot and i think from there that gave me a lot of confidence yeah heck yeah and i just started getting into other things 
the big thing for me was I went to undergrad studying kinesiology because I wanted to be an athletic trainer because mm-hmm. I saw because you're an athlete. I loved sports. Mm-hmm. And while I was in high school, I saw Derek Rose, who was such an incredible basketball player. He got injured, but he had just signed a huge deal with Adidas. Mm-hmm. So Adidas began to do this marketing campaign and they called it hashtag the return. And the whole purpose of the campaign was to get Derek Rose back to being on the court and back to playing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just thinking about it as a business deal, like in professional athletics, you know, these big sports companies, they sign millions and millions of dollars of deals with whoever. And then mm-hmm. that player sells their product. And mm-hmm. the focus on like this rehabilitation was really cool. And I started cool, to think yeah. about it and I was like, man, I think it'd be so cool to be a part of that process of getting people back to what they love. Mm-hmm. And that's sports yeah. for a lot of people. And if I could be just one little cog in that whole system mm-hmm. and to help push that wheel, that would be so cool. Uh, so I went to central Oklahoma. That's why. Yep. Cause they had a big program there and a year in, I met with my advisor and I wasn't really feeling my program though. Yeah. And he was like, you know, he, he said something briefly about communication. Mm-hmm. He said, have you thought about interpersonal communication? And I was like, what's that, you know? And yeah. he said, it's a major. And I'm like, what? I can study talking to people? <laughs> so cool. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, you can. Yeah. So I was like, sign me up, you know, because yeah. I was a first generation college student. Like my parents oh my goodness, hadn't done yeah. this before me. And I didn't really have, like my sister had gone to college, but she became a nurse, right? So, And she kind of went in on traditional route. She did her own thing, which like the medical side of the house, if you're not going to pursue medicine, it's kind of hard to pro, like borrow wisdom from that and help you. So I went the liberal yeah. arts path. I started to study communication. And my assignments were like, give a 10-minute presentation. Mm-hmm. Give a 15-minute presentation. Yeah. I remember I pulled an all-nighter before a 45-minute presentation. Oh, my goodness. That would give me such anxiety. <laughs> it gave me a ton of anxiety. Yeah. But the the reps, you know, practicing and the practicing. Reps. And I started, I was an RA. Mm-hmm. So I started to talk more, like, mm-hmm. because I was leading meetings and hosting events. And then I started to get involved in college ministry. And another great place to practice the communication. To communicate. And honestly, mm-hmm. a great place for the voice in general. For sure. Because I see a lot of really talented vocalists mm-hmm. like Whitney Houston, who she started in the church. Mm-hmm. John Legend started in the church. But then you see all these great speakers. Yes. Who also start in the church. And I wouldn't say I started in the church, but it definitely was a big part of giving me more exposure. Oh, yeah. Because... For one college ministry, I was the guy who was like, hey, we're so glad you're here. Mm-hmm. And I welcomed everybody. And it could be a small crowd of like 15 people all the way up to a lot more than that. And I feel like not to interrupt, but what you just said right there, like, hey, we're so glad you're here. That is a That describes your not only a skill that you have as a communicator and being able to welcome people and interact with people but also who you are is just a person. It's like your skills and your personality combined. Yeah. It's quite nice it's, whenever you think about it, like yes. how fitting that was for me. Yes. Because the goal that I have for communication is 
to reveal or remind people of their value. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's not reminding them of their value. They don't even know, right? So yeah. it's revealing their value to them. And in order for me to do that, I have to have an inherent belief that everyone has value. Yeah. Uh, which I do. Mm-hmm. And that's due to faith, but it's also just due to my temperament. I yeah. think I've just been wired to see people as really important and that they matter a lot. So, like, and faith aside, really quickly, I think because of all the different kinds of people you've met, some are, you know, believers and follow faith and some don't, and just a wide range of people, all different kinds of people you met, I think also reinforces your idea that everybody has inherent value and you've got to see that on such a wide range. Yeah, totally. Like going to the university was so Mm -hmm. helpful for me. Yeah. I read things about the depreciating value of a liberal arts degree Mm -hmm. or how much is college worth it? Mm -hmm. Is it worth the debt? Is it worth this? Is it worth that? I think one thing that was really beneficial to me was having access to so many people in one place that I didn't have access to. Absolutely. And I remember I was a freshman or sophomore and there was an activities fair. Mm-hmm. It's like all these groups. Oh yeah, like right at the beginning of the year. Right, yeah. trying to get just people involved in what they want to get involved in. And I walked past this table and it was this woman and she had these necklaces mm-hmm. with like penises and boobs and all of these different body parts on the table. And I was like, what the heck? <laughs> and she said, yeah, we're the the pagan society. And... We're celebrating a fertility dance. And I was like, huh? And, and it was just so far to the left field that I I just started to think about like, oh my gosh, like there's really yeah. a lot going on here. Yeah. And the more and more I met people, the more I realized like all of the nuances and all of the variety that people have. Um, I didn't attend the dance. I didn't... <laughs> 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 I, I didn't I didn't really feel like that was for me. Yeah. But hey, kudos to her for showing up. Hey, she's showing up. She mm-hmm. got the jewelry made. I don't know if it was handmade or how she made <laughs> Definitely it. Definitely homemade. <laughs> you never know, you know. But the cool thing about college is showing up and yes. seeing all the different people. With the college ministry, another thing was I was also involved in my church. Mm-hmm. And I was like leader for the youth and I was in the college ministry and that gave me more opportunities to talk. Mm-hmm. So whenever I look back historically, that's whenever things start to build up where I'm like, Hey, I can use my voice for sure. And it's just like soccer. Like I loved soccer so much growing up. If I want to learn how to, if I'm right footed, curve the ball to the right, then I need to kick with the outside of my foot and I need to do it a thousand times to get really good at it. And with speaking, it's like, okay, I need to do it a thousand times to get really good at it. That's kind of like the podcast as well, that, is to practice yeah. on the interpersonal side of the house. So it's not public speaking, but mm-hmm. it's that interpersonal one-on-one, maybe two-on-two, whatever it looks like. But It's kind of like mass interpersonal, which is the actual term. I didn't make that up. But it's taking an interpersonal interaction in a more public... Medium. Medium. Mm-hmm. So yeah, once I publish it. Yeah, then. exactly. So that's kind of cool too. What I wanted to ask you, did you want to say anything else on that note? Because I didn't want to get too far up without saying this, but you were talking about helping people realize their value and helping people. Maybe it's not necessarily you helping them realize, but 
through talking to them and asking them very thoughtful questions. That's something you are really good at is asking questions. And you're so thoughtful in the questions that you ask. It's not just, you know, when people say like, oh, how are you? And it's like, good, how are you? You know, of course, you know, you engage in small talk like every other human on planet earth, but your questions are very intentional. And so I think that helps people. I think through you asking those thoughtful questions and people really having to think through their responses, it's kind of like, oh yeah, like that is, I do know what I'm talking about or I am unique or, you know, so the way that you ask questions, the way that you make people feel is really special. And I love that that's, that's what you're doing with this podcast is you're giving people the opportunity to engage in a conversation and maybe not necessarily for the soul. I know your, your mission here isn't to have everybody leave feeling like they have a better sense of their value, but through your meaningful interaction with them, I think that is a, a sub goal or, you know, you know a, a byproduct of what you have going on here. So it's really, I'm, I've been really excited to watch you build this and to see you engage with other people and interact in such a thoughtful way. Yeah. I think that questions are very valuable. They're very valuable. Very, very valuable. And thoughtful ones. Thoughtful ones. If you have a thoughtful question, mm-hmm. that is so, I feel like I'm being limited by my language right now. I'm having a hard time explaining it. Like a thoughtful question will do so much. It will do so much. And I think we've all been in situations. I know you and I have recently, and we've talked about it and processed it together. I think we come from a place where because we studied communication, not just at an undergrad level, but a master's level too. I think you and I feel very tied to that identity. Am I right in saying that about communicator? Yeah. Maybe not studying it, but being a communicator, being a good communicator, just not because of the accolades or, I guess what it means to be a good communicator, but the end result of that really good relationships with people, really good interactions. Actually, they don't always go well. You could be a very well-prepared communicator. This is what I'm getting to. You could be a really great communicator and know all the studies and know all the tips and tricks and how to be in interaction and still walk away being like, well, that was, that was a doozy. Uh, and this brings me to questions. Recently, we were in a situation where we were w- interacting with people and not one time did they ask a question or one that I remember. I don't remember them asking a question. And so that's like, we walked away kind of like, huh, kind of feeling a little, a little low, I guess, or maybe I'll speak for myself a little low, like, huh, they didn't ask any questions. And it's not because I'm counting how many questions people are asking, but it's asking questions signals to somebody you care about them or you care about the conversation. Yeah. Well, it's hard whenever you're talking to somebody and you feel like there's no reciprocity. That's it, which is a key to any type of relationship. There has to be reciprocity. There has to be. That is the, that literally reciprocity is part of what defines a relationship because somebody, let's take an example of somebody you interact with the cashier. We'll go back to the cashier. Yeah. Who's scanning things. (laughs) Who's scanning things. And you make small talk with them. Is that a relationship? The way that communication relationships, I guess, interpersonal relationships is defined is an ongoing repeated exchanges, reciprocity. Like there has to be reciprocity for there to be a relationship. Yeah. 
and it, yeah, it has to be kind of an ongoing thing. So all that to say when there is a lack of reciprocity, that can really strain a relationship, whether it's romantic, friend, family. Yeah, it's like mm-hmm. there's a word for, maybe you know it, but that feeling we get when we feel like we have a relationship with a celebrity. Oh, para, it's a parasocial relationship. Parasocial relationship, mm-hmm. right. Like we know everything about them, yes. but they've never even thought of us. It's such a weird phenomena. It's the exact opposite of reciprocity. Yes. To the greatest extent. Yes. Right. That's like, a great example. It's the stark difference. Yeah. We're all putting something in. So I think one of the most important things is whenever you are asking a question, there are conversational scripts to follow. Yeah. yeah. Right. And typically the better you get to know somebody, the more you disclose and, mm-hmm. and the questions you ask begin to become a little more personal. Yeah, it's like, it's not to go back to the theory. I mean, the theory doesn't matter for people listening to this are like, I don't care what the theory is, the onion. You peel back the layers of an onion and as you get to know the person more and disclose more yourself, by disclosing more yourself, I mean, it doesn't always work eye for an eye exactly, but the idea is if you disclose, the other person is more likely to disclose. And I think we can all think of scenarios with that where that happened, like that tracks in our own relationships. And so with the onion, you peel back the layers, the more you get to know somebody, the more um, personal the questions will be, the more specific, the more, um, yeah, maybe more of the private information that you don't share with somebody on social media, you know? So as you get to know them more, you peel back those layers. Yeah. Yeah. And the cool thing about that is every onion is different. Yeah. And, some people will pull back those layers differently. And I know a friend of ours jokes, he's from Miami and he jokes that people in the Midwest are much different than in Miami. He says in the Midwest, you can get to know somebody for years and you know a little bit about them and they're really polite and everything, but you really don't know that much about them. And then he said in Miami, Mm -hmm. you know somebody for 10 minutes and you know their whole life story. And you know everything. Yeah. And it's not the case for every person in Miami or every person in the Midwest, but it goes to show that that disclosure and the mm-hmm. peeling back of the layers is different. That's that's a great point. Yeah. yeah. And different people will have different layers at different times, right? Like I could talk to you about maybe socioeconomic background whenever I was young mm-hmm. and somebody else that may be something that's really near and dear to them because maybe they have a, identity tag to that or maybe there's something else going on so they may not talk to you about that whenever you get to know them at all you know yeah that's true yeah that's why i think it's important it's not always going to be i disclose this so you disclose that on the same topic but it's the pattern of disclosure the pattern of that relationships usually follow when you get to know somebody yeah if we don't have to talk about it i feel like i'm boring people but no, no, you're not boring people because it's important. It is important. And it's at the end of the day, I think that one, the reason why you're doing this podcast, the reason why I studied what I did, but also the way that we just live our lives is relationships matter. At the end of the day, it's not what you have that you're going to remember. Um, it's the people you were with, the memories you made and... I mean, let's go back to this round table that we're sitting at. 
how the many moments we've had this table full and people around it and how special that is. Money can't buy that. So at the end of the day, relationships matter. And learning, I mean, there are so many tools and practical applications of these ideas that people have researched that could help everybody in their relationships. And I feel very passionate about that. And I know you do too. Yeah. Totally. So we're, we're a good match. <laughs> I was thinking, there was a brief moment where I was thinking about printing off shirts and on the front, it would just say, talk to people mm-hmm. because it's such a good reminder. Can we talk about that for a second? Yeah. Because I know this podcast is supposed to be just long form conversations that people can listen to. But I think because this is the first one, I think it's worth taking a few minutes to talk about how you came to this name of the podcast, which is connected to the shirts. You and I were pre-dating. This was before we were officially dating. And I had visited your location of residence. My apartment. That sounds so fishy, location of residence. It was on the eighth floor. Seventh. Seventh floor. And you had this grand window. Beautiful. And outside the window, you could see the expressway. Mm-hmm. Okay, so. <laughs> <laughs> Am I doing a bad job describing it? Kind of. You couldn't see the, from one side, you could see a corner of the expressway. It, it, it sounds like I was just staring at a highway. I could see the Carolina Pines. Like, I could see pine trees out my window. And you had a pool. nice view. No I had doubt. a great view. But you could still see the highway. <laughs> Because I had asked you a question. Yes. And I think the reason why I asked you the question was because of the highway. Maybe, or just that busy road. That's neither here nor there. (laughs) Because I said, if there were a billboard that was going to be seen by millions of people Mm -hmm. and you were responsible for what was on that billboard. No, you asked me if I could put anything in my window. Oh, wow. Yeah, you said if I could put, you said to me, you asked me if you could put like a message in this window for everybody to see who was driving by. Yeah. Because of where it was, the location. What would it say? Right. And you said. And I said, I sat there for a minute and first of all, you put me on the spot. Second of all, major crush on you was like, oh gosh, I gotta think about something. And I said, Well, it probably would be live, laugh, love. Yeah. <laughs> Which I bet there are, you know, how many people have found a sign like that at Hobby Lobby or Michael's or Home Goods? Because it's such a I good see phrase. You. Raise your hand. I see you. It's such a good phrase. Live fully, laugh a lot. Love deeply. Love deeply. Yeah. So th- if I could go to Hobby Lobby and just add a few words onto the end of the live, laugh, love. But I said that and I, I mean, it's so cliche. Years later, I'm like, yeah, I, I mean, would I change what I say in the window if somebody were to ask me that? Maybe, but I still feel like live, laugh, love, live fully, laugh a lot, love deeply. What more could you ask for? Yeah. yeah. And so then I turned the question back to Chris and I said to you, because you didn't have that window. I was like, so if you had a billboard that everybody could see, what would what would it say? And I said, talk to people. And you said, talk to people. And I, <laughs> I laughed at first and I'm like, huh, okay. But... The more I got to know you and thinking about it now retroactively, it's like, yeah, that is Chris Miller in a nutshell. Talk to people. And I remember when we were first dating, we were, wait, this is still pre-dating actually. (laughs) I was meeting you at the library at Wake and it was right before school started, like the winter, spring semester. And I was meeting you there because you were working on something. 
and you told me where you were, you were in like a study room. And so I went to that study room and I saw your backpack and I saw your stuff and I was like, huh. So I waited for a few minutes thinking that you were in the restroom or something. A few minutes go by and I'm like, well, maybe he's got bad tummy or maybe he's somewhere else. And then it clicked. I'm like, he's talking with somebody. And so I went to the Starbucks inside the library and sure enough, you were talking to Paul. Shout out to Paul. Shout out to Paul. Really cool guy. Super cool guy. But so I feel like that, the talk to people, the essence of that maps onto you perfectly. So yeah, I love that story. And I love it's come full circle with this podcast and all the cool conversations you've had with people that you're going to have with people. I'm so excited for you. I'm super excited too. Yeah. Because the ability to talk to people, the opportunity to talk to people, all the people... I'm imagining everybody who came home to that apartment complex and a lot of them were coming home from work. They may have been stressed out. Mm -hmm. You live right by a big hospital. So a lot of them were residents. Residents, medical professionals. Mm -hmm. And it's so important to talk to people about Mm -hmm. what's going on in your life, getting to know themselves, their stories, what's happening. Yeah, The stuff you're going through feels a lot less weighty when you share with others. There's a lot of power whenever you wrap words around what you're dealing with. And as we were talking about earlier, we make meaning through our language. Yes. And our world is limited by what we can say. Mm-hmm. And if we can't describe it, then oftentimes it's almost as if we're not even feeling it. Mm-hmm. Like the, One of the most helpless feelings is knowing there's something going on inside of you mm-hmm. that you can't communicate it. That, yes, agree with that and feeling misunderstood. And feeling misunderstood. Like I'm reading The Atlas of the Heart by Brene Brown right now. Mm -hmm. And she talks about an example where imagine you break your arm Mm -hmm. or imagine you have this pain in your back and it's Mm -hmm. this excruciating pain. And every time you go and you stand up, you can't even do anything because Mm -hmm. this pain is so debilitating. And you finally get to go to the doctor's. And once you're in the doctor's office, your mouth seizes up and you can't point. So all of a sudden you're feeling all of this pain from your back, but there's no way to express it. Mm -hmm. And how that's one of the most hopeless and defeating feelings. And aggravating. Super aggravating. So I think if you can wrap your words around what's going on, if you talk to people about it, uh, it's going to help out a lot. Yeah. Um, And there's a reason that people, I mean, hey, look up the... Harvard Happiness Study, the people with the strongest relationships, really satisfying, meaningful relationships, and days when people experience greater physical pain, they still rated were really highly rated on the happiness measure. Yeah, and they experienced less pain. And they experienced less pain, yes, Ob- objectively. So when they ranked, yes, when they rated higher objective pain, they experienced it. it. It did help them with their pain or with whatever, what was going on. Right. Those relationships. To me. They lived longer. They lived longer. There's a really cool study. There are these researchers that study wound healing. People with stronger relationships. I should fact check this. I know there are these researchers. I know their names. Um, so I know these studies exist. But the people with stronger relationships and better interpersonal dynamics, their wounds heal faster. Isn't that crazy? It makes sense. It makes sense. Mm-hmm. So I, if there's not enough evidence already and just the feel good 
rush of dopamine and adrenaline and whatever else, serotonin. I don't know. Yeah, all, all of those chemicals. All of those chemicals that you feel when you leave a really good interaction or you leave just kind of on a high from being around people and connecting with somebody. If that isn't evidence enough, there is empirical research to back up the importance of relationships in people's lives. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, it matters a lot. And a big component of that is asking questions. Yeah. So whenever you are talking to people. Ask questions. Yeah, that doesn't mean just go talk to people and tell them your favorite baseball card and tell them why. Mm-hmm. Like, cool, that's awesome that you're disclosing and being vulnerable and mm-hmm. opening yourself up. But if you're not going out there and giving the opportunity for others to do the same, yeah, then you lose the reciprocity. Yep. You lose the conversational alignment. And then all of a sudden it's just a soliloquy. Yeah. You know, it's not a conversation. So mm-hmm. the questions are a big piece, but I imagine we know there are people who have a really hard time talking to people. Oh my goodness. Yeah. That's, that's, I'm glad you mentioned that. It's completely fine. Yes. You know, that's completely, it's, you are not alone. Talking to people can be really tough because human interaction is unpredictable. Yeah. We can't plan. It's not like we have robots all around us. Yeah. Like we can tell Siri to do certain things and Siri will do certain things. Mm -hmm. But with people, the beauty of all of this is it's unpredictable, right? Yeah. And that's what makes something like this special is that whatever we record and publish, it's one in a million. It's out there, baby. It's out there and it's something that people get to see. Mm -hmm. And had I eaten what mac and cheese and chicken tenders an hour before this, then I'd probably be a bit lethargic and I may not have this in mind. So the conversation would be different. But you're fueled on chicken pot pie. But I'm fueled on homemade chicken pot pie by the very best. You. And it tasted <laughs> absolutely so delicious. You're such a great cook. Thanks, Chris. And I'm very grateful for that. But I mean, Annie, you started this off by saying you have social anxiety. Yeah. How yeah. Do, how does one overcome social anxiety? Oh, boy. Well, counseling. Yeah. No, I'm a firm believer in counseling. Yeah. And, and social anxiety. Let me actually back up and say that I'm really glad you mentioned hey, communicating and interacting with people, it's not easy. And I will also say, I think it's important to put it out there so it doesn't seem like we're just coming from our high horses talking about how important it is. We've been in uncomfortable interactions. All the time. All the time. And we are not the best communicators that we could be very often. You know, like we even, and even people who have studied this much longer than we have or have practiced it much longer than we have, nobody bats a hundred percent. A hundred percent. Nobody bats a hundred percent. So <laughs> I don't know baseball that well. To tell I think you it's the, nobody bats a thousand, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. Nobody bats a thousand. So we can cut the hundred percent. But so I think that's important. But yeah, social anxiety. I talked about this a little bit earlier. I've lived with a little social anxiety lately, more so than I have. I think about junior high Annie. And I know we look back and we kind of block out the more negative things. I just look back on junior junior high Annie in seventh and eighth grade. I don't think I had social anxiety. I was pretty confident in myself for a junior high kid. I did my thing. I didn't care. Not that I didn't care. Like I was like willy nilly, whatever. I, I mean, I was so confident in being who I was. I didn't feel peer pressured. I was okay with being kind of sweet, naive Annie. I didn't feel pressures. And I don't feel pressures now, but I'm saying it's the... 
arguably one of the most insecure times in people's lives, like junior high, right? You're going through puberty, acne. Middle school's tough. Middle school's tough. But I look back and I'm like, mm, no, I didn't, I didn't feel that way. So cut to I'm 26 and I'm living with some social anxiety, which this is what I was going to say before is it can be situational. Like I, everybody has situational social anxiety at times where it's like, oh, that was weird or, you know. Yeah, it's a spidey sense. It's a spidey sense. And for some people though, social anxiety can be a little bit more of more than that. It can be, so I live with more generalized anxiety that's a part of me and um, yeah, so that's my baseline tends to be a little bit more anxious, not not necessarily with social things, but for some people that is their baseline, like just baseline nervous about interacting with people and hey, keep on showing up because you probably walk away feeling like, oh gosh, that was terrible. That I, oh, they probably think I'm stupid or what did I even say? You are, always remember, you're much harder on yourself than than other people. And most of the time I found that people who will say to me later, I'm like, oh goodness, I had so much social anxiety. I'm like, I couldn't even tell. Yeah, you crushed it. Yeah, you crushed it. So to all those people who are sitting here listening to this, like I heck like thousands of people, hopefully thousands of people, but anybody listening who's like, Oh yeah. Easy for you to say, keep showing up because chances are you're doing great. And that's the biggest part is showing up. And that's the biggest part showing up. There's something to that fake it till you make it too, which I don't say fake it, like deceive people, but kind of, kind of play the part, right? Sometimes it helps if you just, I mean, there are times when I look in the mirror and I'm like, Annie, you've got this when I'm having a really anxious day and, and that helps, but uh, social anxiety. Yeah. So we were saying how to, how to overcome it. Hey, I think if you have situational anxiety, social anxiety, that's normal. Just keep on pushing through. Keep on keeping on. Know that everybody has those moments. Even if you do have more of the chronic baseline social anxiety, same thing. Keep showing up. Keep pushing through. I'm also a big fan of counseling. So I want to say that too, because I don't want it to sound like, oh, just keep trying. It's like some people who would hear like, oh, just keep trying. And social interactions are like, oh my gosh, I do keep trying it. It's still so hard. But yeah. And there's the anxious, the emotional response we have. Mm-hmm. It's a Susan David, Harvard professor, talks about it being a beacon and a barrier. There sure. are moments where we feel like it's such a barrier, mm-hmm. but for the most part, it's a beacon. It's communicating something to us. Yeah. And if we're feeling anxious about a certain thing, then there's something there. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times like further investigation, um, we're able to learn something from that. Yeah, and it's amazing. I love that. That's I think that's really insightful. Another thing too is with anxiety that I've learned over the years is that your body can misinterpret signals in the brain um, and just in your body as something negative when they're not. So I was talking about how when we were talking about the speech, um, the oratory competition that you were in, and we were talking about how exhilarating it is before you get up there and speak. I felt that way when I was in theater before the curtain would come up, that rush of excitement. Like I'm about to stand on stage in front of a lot of people and do this thing, but I'm really excited and a little nervous, but that kind of, it helps propel you, right? It's like, it gives you a little fuel, a little motivation to do it. Sometimes though, you could have those same feelings 
and it be in a positive, uh, and I guess this is where for me, sometimes I get a little panicky, but I misinterpret the feeling of excitement for panic. Or even when I'm on the treadmill, sometimes like I'm running and my heart rate gets up and I'm like, this feels like a panic attack, but it's really just my body doing what it's supposed to be doing on the treadmill. So it's the way we interpret the physiological response to, to something I think also matters. The interpretation is so mm-hmm. important. Have you heard about the, I've heard this before, and it's the evolutionary biological explanation for public speaking fear with this idea of historically, whenever we were speaking in front of a large group of people, uh-huh. then we were essentially pleading our case and how the setting was like a trial of some sort. Oh, Like back in the day, like if you were, and I'm completely out of my field here, but it it's interesting to me, so I'll butcher it. Um, if you were a caveman or something yeah, and you find yourself talking in front of a whole bunch of people, mm-hmm. like something's gone awry mm-hmm. and you are trying to persuade them or you are trying to yeah. present something that... Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, like your case. and Oh, that makes total sense. And why we would have a fight or flight yeah. like response to that because it's fascinating. We're essentially fighting verbally, right? We're yeah. like presenting our case um in an awaiting trial. That's fascinating. I actually have not heard that, but it makes sense. Yeah. That's that is that those pieces of the the evolutionary evolutionary perspective on things is so interesting to me. Super interesting. That just got me thinking about it. I should have mentioned this earlier, but the idea of uh bonds in relationships and interaction specifically the one i find really interesting is gossip so there's this idea evolutionarily communicate bond belong theory in case anybody wants to check it out the gossip used to be really beneficial back in when it was like cave men and women it used to be really beneficial because the more that you gossiped you bonded with people it had a bonding mechanism which didn't just mean bonding for enjoyment of hanging out together it meant protection it meant survival yeah and so gossip is in this day and age can be very negative it can be very negative and perpetuate really unhealthy especially with mass communication especially with mass communication but it, aka social media aka social media and and just yeah other yeah that's true uh, just how readily we can communicate and pass things along to people more easily and more quickly. I think that's just the nature of all the different ways we can communicate now. But it's fascinating to think about it that way. Like the tendency kind of is to gossip. And if you look a little deeper, there's a reason why. And also gossip doesn't have to be a negative thing. It can be talking about positive things. We just don't call it gossip then, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it's the the social glue. Yeah, it's the social glue. It brings mm-hmm. people together. And I think another part of social anxiety is the spotlight effect. And oftentimes we feel whenever we are somewhere where there's a lot of people Mm -hmm. and we do something, we feel like there's a spotlight on us and everybody's watching us. Yeah. When in all reality, nobody's, that's not the case. No, I'm glad you redirected back. Sorry. No, no need to apologize. It it was something that I thought of Mm -hmm. that I think ties into the evolutionary side of the house. Yeah. Is we are constantly thinking about our own skull-sized kingdom. (laughs) Oh, yeah. You know, and and like what's happening in the skull-sized kingdom of ours and what did we do 
but next to you, that person who you think saw you just accidentally spit your gum out, they are trying to figure out how they're <laughs> going to pay off their $500 Toyota Subaru Outback bill. Totally. I love the specificity of that, which reminds me of a faux pas I had that I'm laughing about. You were there. Where you tripped up Sean's stage. I tri- you knew exactly. I Shout out to Sean. I was meeting Chris's friend, Sean, for the first time when we were at his parents' house. Beautiful home. Nice people. Super, like, very welcoming. But it's like, here I am in Oklahoma meeting all these, meeting, making the rounds, right? And we go to Sean's house and it's winter time. So I'm wearing, I had been wearing boots or something and I had these like nice socks on and we were going up the steps and I slipped on Sean's steps and everybody was like, oh, are you okay? (laughs) (laughs) In that moment, everyone was watching you. Everyone was watching me, but then it was like, they moved on. I didn't. Exactly. That's another thing is like, we think everyone's watching us with the right. spotlight effect. But even if everyone were, everyone would move on. They move on. Like when I, you were talking to Sean today. Okay, the slip was three years ago. You were talking to Sean today and the first thing I thought of was me slipping, going up the steps. And I think I just felt like a big ogre slipping on the stairs. You had a... Big ugly ogre. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I don't know why you gotta say Ugly. It just an ogre. They're not really cute. I didn't feel ogre. cute. I did not feel cute when I slipped going up the steps. You did it in a really cute way though. Oh, thanks, Chris. But it's it just goes to show they moved on. Sean probably doesn't even remember that. In fact, I think I told him once, if, like a, a year or two later, I was like, Sean, I still keep thinking about when I slipped going up your steps. He was like, oh, he didn't even remember it. Yeah, it was like you had to... Let Prime him, him. I had to I had to really jog his memory. Yeah. So whenever you're talking to someone, a lot of what goes on in our head doesn't even actually take yeah. place. It doesn't come to fruition. And people don't care that much. Yeah. People don't care that much. No. My mom has this great rule. Uh what is it? Five t- have you heard of it? It's like five, ten. 20, 30 or something like that. It's like if something happened 10 minutes ago and you're still thinking of no, it five it, seconds later. Well, it's like, okay, you're, it can be in the context of something happening or worrying about something like in five, in five days, will this matter? Hmm. Maybe, but not as much as today. In 10 years, will this matter? No, it probably won't matter. In 20 years, will this matter? No, nah, I probably won't even remember. It's like all in perspective. Yeah. Me slipping up shunts, even though it's three years later and I still think about it, that's a default of mine or that's a <laughs> defect <laughs> of, that says something about myself and maybe a, a moment of insecurity. The why I still remember it, I don't know. And you think it's funny. And oh, now okay, that's now I'm it. laughing at it. Yes, it's less of that and more funny. Right. But humor, humor can also be a protective mechanism, like self deprecating humor. Yeah, humor is really interesting. Humor is very f- fascinating. Especially when it comes to the interacting with people. Piece. Yes. Because yes. humor is a really, really weird, weird's not the proper term, really intriguing. Well, it's very, what's the right way to, yeah, what is the right, this is where we're stump. it's hard to wrap words around it. You know, the idea of like neuroplasticity in your brain is so, it's it can flex and change and you can rewire your brain. Maybe flexible or versatile is the right way to describe this. But humor is so flexible and versatile. You can use it for a lot of different reasons. You can use it just for like pure enjoyment, bonding, 
protective mechanism. It's you can use it for a lot of different use it in different ways for different purposes. Yeah, humor is super versatile. There's mm-hmm. so much you can do with it. Mm-hmm. And it is a main pillar for social interactions. Mm-hmm. Like someone who's funny, someone who can mm-hmm. make someone laugh. Yeah. It's priceless. Yeah. So I do want to, I know we're kind of running out of time here. I got to get to my Hallmark and popcorn. Hallmark and popcorn deadline. I am going to make popcorn tonight, but I'm not on a deadline, but I know that we need to wrap it up. So what I want to say to you, Chris, and this is your podcast, so you can then have the last word, but talking about humor, talking about just showing up and always remembering to, to keep going for those social interactions and keeping it all in perspective I hope all of that is encouraging to you in this new venture that you you are so funny. So let your humor shine. You're so good at talking to people. So really show up in the conversations, even when it feels like you're tired or the energy is off. Like you are just know that you're a really good communicator and that somebody, even if it's, I've said this before, What's so cool about this podcast is that it's not about how many listeners you have or how many followers you have. It's about what's taking place right here and right now, the conversation you're having. So keeping that all in perspective, I just, I hope that is so encouraging for you. And if you have a moment where you have a faux pas, like slipping up the stairs, but not that because it's not going to be physical, it's going to (laughs) be part of an interaction. Nobody's going to remember that. Just keep moving on, keep moving forward and I'm really excited for you. It's been neat to see you through this process. Say, hey, I want to do it. We've talked about you doing a podcast, you know, for a long time. And then more recently, you were like, I think I want to do a podcast. And you had this natural opportunity with timing to start one. And you found the equipment. You drove down to Tulsa. You brought Braxton with you to go to this guy's house. Rule number one, don't go to someone's house to pick up something from Facebook Marketplace. But anyhow, you showed up, you had your friend with you, you bought the equipment, you brought it back to Kansas. You, I remember you laid it all out. You were fiddling with things and trying to figure out software and there was a fuzz for a while. And so just, it's been so, you've come so far. You are, you've taught yourself. You didn't take a class on this. You've been so great with your resources and I couldn't be more happy and excited for you as you launch this sucker. Amen, Annie. Mm-hmm. Thank you for all that. It's not a mistake that I married you because you're incredibly supportive and I love you a lot. And what you. better first guest to have? Oh, thank you. I hope to be a repeat guest. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think? Maybe 202? Oh, maybe one three five seven. One three five seven nine. Well, four times within the first 10. Yeah. Hey, shout out to you. No, thank you. I do hope to be back in all seriousness uh, whenever you'll have me. And I think you're going to be a heavily requested guest. Thank you, Chris. Well, I'm excited for you. Thank you for this conversation. I love you. And cue the music, right? I love you mucho. Cue the outro. We will see you next time, folks. See you next time. Boom, boom. See you real soon. See you real soon. (laughs) 